Hi, this is Dr. Claire Steffen, and I'm back with another episode of Heal Your Brain Toolbox. I am a psychologist, a naturopath, a certified drug and alcohol counselor, a national board counselor, and a life coach, wellness coach, and business coach. So today we're going to talk about recovering from self-medicating lifestyles and healing your brain. Not everything we do in life is well thought out or flows from a plan of action. Some behaviors occur as a result of automatic thoughts that are based on habits. And if these habits are unhealthy, then the actions that follow will also be unhealthy. When this occurs, we might be making conscious choices that affect our health and well-being. Perhaps the end result of self-medicating and how we got there is the same, whether they are based on habitual or conscious thoughts. We have learned about cognitions of choice and the three levels involved in choice. And as a reminder, they are number one, habitual choice that stem from automatic thoughts, two, meta choices, in which case we're thinking about our choices, and three, conscious choice, which is based on mindfulness. The question becomes, how do we make ourselves aware of the thoughts so we can consciously make healthy choices? Some may argue that automatic thoughts do not involve choice at all, especially those behaviors that relate to self-medication. So what does it mean when we say someone is self-medicating? Does it mean that they're avoiding dealing with reality? Well, under some circumstances that may be true, but under another set of circumstances, they may be seeking ways to intensify reality. And this could lead us to the question, what is reality? Initially, we explained brain-based being and defined it as being determined by brain balance and connected to being in a state of authenticity or at one with our genuine self. So what if we don't genuinely like who we are? Can we change ourselves to become someone we like? And if that occurs, are we still authentic? Let's explore these questions in the frame of reference as they relate to making healthy choices and assist in the reduction of self-medicating behaviors. So what does it mean to self-medicate? Well, when we experience discomfort, pain, embarrassment, displeasure, confusion, boredom, rejection, neglect, abandonment, or an array of other negative kind of emotions or experiences, it's not unusual for humans to seek comfort. Even animals seek comfort when their source of sustenance is disrupted. Biologically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, we seek homeostasis. We are drawn to what we know, and at times what is familiar drives unhealthy choices. So let's consider some of the ways in which we self-medicate by engaging in either excessive or restrictive behaviors involving substances, activities, or in the ways in which we relate to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So some of those might be involving alcohol, drugs, prescription medications, sex, sugar, food, shopping, gaming, social media, pornography, gambling, pain-seeking, thrill-seeking, exercise, or caffeine, to name a few. We may not recognize that we are self-medicating until others provide feedback, critical input, or criticism. And at that point, we are faced with the choice of how we want to respond, and that's a crucial point. Our brains can trick us and lead us into believing that we're making decisions that are acceptable, healthy, or appropriate. Sometimes, even when others tell us otherwise, we can convince ourselves it will be all right. 
When this occurs, our brain ballast shifts and homeostasis changes and works hard to adjust and align. We are meant to be in balance and our brain and body works tirelessly to protect us. We might experience a burst of energy and will try and defend that balance and eventually if we persist, we may experience fatigue and do ourselves harm. When we push our bodies and our brains beyond reasonable expectations, we can experience more imbalance and the increased need for soothing and comfort. In some circles, this process is referred to as hijacking your brain. So first, we need to recognize that it has been hijacked or that an imbalance has occurred. So putting checkpoints in place can prevent errors in judgment, and therein lies the value of a program like Cognitions of Choice or creating a foundational philosophy for living. So ask yourself the following questions, and this can help support brain balance. How does it make you feel? Is it real? Does the choice benefit your health? And is it a sustainable choice? When we engage in either excessive or restrictive behaviors that jeopardize our health, it disrupts our pleasure system and our reward pathway in our brain. So the pleasure system is the mesocordial limbic circulatory that mediates pleasure and allows us to adapt. When there's a breakdown in this system, we can experience affective disorder that creates anhedonia, or lack of pleasure, or dysphoria, which creates negative affect. The reward system is the mesolimbic pathway, and that consists of a group of neural structures and involved, that are involved in pleasure, learning, and motivation. And it's made up of the dopamine pathways and it's made up of the ventral tegmental area, sometimes just called the VTA, which detects the rewarding stimuli, the nucleus accumbens, and the prefrontal cortex. So when activated or the stimulus is received, information travels from the VTA, the nucleus accumbens, and then to the prefrontal cortex. The primary neurotransmitter is dopamine, and the system regulates our motivation, our desire, and craving for a reward. So let's look at how this information is then relayed that's involved in craving. We receive sensory information through the thalamus, which is located above the brainstem and between the cerebral cortex, and it involves sensory perception and the regulation of um, motor functions. The thalamus acts as a relay station to send information for processing to the appropriate systems within the brain. And the limbic region is comprised of the amygdala, which processes emotional input and is involved in the processing of memories. The amygdala is almond-shaped, and it's in the front part of the temporal lobe of the cerebellum, and it contains the cerebral cortex of the two hemispheres. Subcortical structures like including the hippocampus, the basal ganglia, and the olfactory bulb. The amygdala is part of the limbic system and it's actively involved in processing fear and anger. And these two emotions play a role in the survival, but they are also an integral part in craving. The hippocampus is also responsible for memory functions, spatial navigation, and the processing of emotions. The basal ganglia is involved in motor control, involuntary movements, 
motor learning, executive functions that involve planning and decision-making emotions and behavior. So what happens when our brain becomes hijacked? When our brain becomes hijacked, dysregulation can occur. This is a commercial proce chemical process in which our neurotransmitters that regulate mood and our ability to manage mood is either underactive, overactive, or there's an output that's erratic and unstable. And so when our levels fluctuate, instability occurs. So there's some neurotransmitters that affect mood that we should consider. GABA, which calms the central nervous system. Serotonin, which is an inhibitory or calming neurotransmitter that's tied to appetite, pain, digestion, and mood management, uh, as well as regulation. And dopamine, which affects motivation, mood, and pleasure. And it plays an important role in cognitive performance, motivation, sex drive, alertness, and motivation. And it's a catecholamine, which is a hormone made up um, by the adrenal glands. And it's the building block of other catecholamines, such as neuropronephrine, also called neuroadrenaline, that acts as a stress hormone and a substance that sends signals between cells. And epinephrine, which is also called adrenaline, which under stress will activate the fight or flight response. Chronic stress, poor nutrition, and certain medications such as Ritalin can deplete the body's production of norepinephrine and epinephrine. So let's go back and revisit the question of self-medication. Considering the possibility that efforts to self-medicate are related to a chemical imbalance, now, finding balance doesn't necessarily come easy. The answer is not always in uh, prescribing a medication. Although it may be an important part of the process, um, it's not the sole answer. So balance can be achieved or supported by improving nutrition, engaging in physical activity, focusing on improving mental and emotional health, and developing a rich spiritual life. Whether a medication is required or not, improving in all of these areas can benefit your life and assist in balancing your brain. I'm going to stop there and come back in a few minutes and we'll talk some more about healing your brain and how to recover from self-medicating. Thank you. Hope you will stay tuned and uh, listen to future episodes of Heal Your Brain uh, and use the toolbox.